if it was all roses, everybody would do it. It takes time. I mean, you could be working for somebody for 20 years and for the first 10 years, you might be at the lowest level and the next 10, you might be the boss, but you know, it took you 10 years of your life making minimum wage while, while you're, if you're your own boss, you could be the next millionaire. Like nobody knows. This is episode number three with private chef and entrepreneur George Llanos. George's experience in the kitchen spans from Barcelona to New York to Dallas, where he currently runs a meal prep business. We're going to dive into his journey, see what life behind those kitchen doors is really like, and of course, talk a little sports. So stay tuned. Welcome to Beyond the Lines. My name is Felipe Fontes, a former athlete turned sports journalist who hopes to shine a light on issues from an athlete's perspective, one that's often overlooked. Each week we'll attack a theme with guests succeeding in a variety of sectors in today's world, from politics to business, all of which may have some type of connection with sports. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's dive in. George Yanos, welcome to Beyond the Lines, man. What's up? How you doing, man? Good, bro. Happy to have you on. Man, we're having a bunch of different backgrounds and everything like this coming on. A lot of diversity. Now, you chef it up a little bit and you've been across the pond. You've been in New York. You've been in Dallas. But give me a little background right now. Give the audience a little background on what you've been up to and what you've done in your past. All right, so, guys, appreciate it for having me on the yeah. show, man. Uh, so, basically, you know, I graduated high school in 2015. And since I didn't end up playing, you know, college football, I didn't work out. I was just like, all right, what am I going to do? I didn't really want to go to college, you know, it's, it wasn't my thing. So I was like, all right, let me, let me think what I'm going to do. So I decided to do cooking school. You know, I've always had a passion for, for cooking. My parents love to cook, my grandparents. So it's kind of like a household thing. And, you know, I talked to my parents and I was like, you know, I, I want to pursue cooking as a career. Like, all right, well, you know, do some, do some digging. Let's see, let's see where you end up. So I started looking around and the first one was a CIA in New York, but tuition there is probably like a hundred thousand, bro. Maybe. CIA? Yeah. CIA culinary of, uh, of America. Where's that? That's up in New York city. Yes. Yeah, in New York. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And that's just so, a lot of, a lot of money. Yeah. A lot of money, bro. So it would have been like maybe half a mil to be up there for, for the whole course. So, you know, I started looking around and I told my mom, I was like, would you be okay with me like going overseas to cook? And she's like, look, if, if that's, what, if that's what you want to do, you know, I'm a hundred percent behind you. You know, I'll talk to your dad and we'll see what happens. So they talked it out and they were like, all right, well, if you want to do this, we, we support you hundred percent. So then I started looking up schools, uh, over in Europe and I got recommended this school called, uh, Hoffman. Uh, it's in Barcelona, Spain, and it's one of the top culinary schools in, in, in Europe. And it's probably one of the best ones in Spain. And I told my mom, I was like, hey, I, I found a school. Uh, could we, you know, see if this is a possibility for me? She's like, all right. So she, she did some digging. She called the, the, the school and they gave me an interview process. And I filled out an application. I took the test and probably within two, three days, you know, they emailed me back and they're like, we'd love to have you come to our school. What's the test like? So it was pretty much... What can, what can you cook? It was, it was weird. I mean, it, I didn't expect it to be what it was because they sent me like 50 math problems, which really? I mean, you don't, you need math to like basic, yeah, basic. You gotta know how you, you, you gotta be able to, 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 to weigh your, your chicken and stuff, right? Yeah, right. you gotta be able to 
get your stuff, man. You have to convert from pounds to ounces. Right, and, right. That's it. And, you know, I took the test and it was just a bunch of math questions. And then uh, just what I what I did uh, before. Um, and that that's pretty much it. It's, it's pretty easy, I guess, to get in if you want to say right. that. Okay. I don't know. Uh, about that. But so, so you got in and then so you ended up going over there. Yeah, I ended up going over there and I was 18, 18 years old. I didn't know anybody, bro. The only advantage that I had was I spoke Spanish because I'm I'm from Mexico. So at least it wasn't like me going to Japan and I don't know how to speak right, Japanese. Right, right. Well, that's a big advantage you had, though. Yeah, yeah. So I landed there uh, in August, mm-hmm. and we I had like a month. I went a month early just to you know get get used to the city and uh, the traveling and all that. And then school started in September, and. It all, all went from there, but I was over there for almost four years. Yeah, you were there a minute. Uh, I worked at a Michelin star restaurant over there with the school, so that's pretty much a Michelin star is the best thing right. a restaurant get. You can get right. three, just a max. So that one had one, and I was there. I was working there for for three years, and you know I was traveling all over Europe. I got to experience a whole different culture, you know, a whole different atmosphere, and. I, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with it. And after that, I graduated. And, you know, I didn't want to come back to Texas. You know, Texas is, it's nice. You know, it's, it's where I grew up, but, you know, I, I want a bigger, bigger pond. Yeah, definitely. You know, I know about that. Yeah. So I decided, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to New York. I'm in New York. And that's, that's probably the, the spot where you want to go if you want to cook, if you're in the United States, either California, Miami, or New York. Right. Well, I went to New York, uh, flew out there for three days. I bought a ticket and then um, I had like around eight interviews. Was there for three days, went to all the interviews, man. I got an offer on all the jobs and then I flew back home and I was like, all right, well, I got eight job offers. Is this something I really want to do? And I thought it over for like a day or two and then I called the chef up uh, to where she offered me and I was like, hey, you know, I flew into New York looking for a job, but right now I'm still in Texas. She's like, all right, I'll give you two weeks to, to come out here if you still want to take a job. And I was like, all right, uh, let me take a job. So I pretty much packed all my stuff. And How'd you make that York. decision between the eight, though? Was it a money thing, too? Or like, was it just a fitting it wasn't the thing? I didn't choose the highest paying job, that was for sure. But just the atmosphere and the people in that one just really stuck out. You know, it was... Yeah. Uh, the restaurant is called ABC Casino, and it's, yeah, I've it's, been there. it's kind of a it's, Latin. It's expensive as hell, though. Expensive, man. I went there, like- man. I went there. It's funny you told me that because you told me that a few weeks ago, and I went there. My whole family was in New York for Christmas. One, like my cousin goes to NYU. My sister was going to school at the time. So, it, yeah. and my uncle lives over there. So it just made it made sense. Everybody just came to, to came to New York, and it was Christmas Day, and we went to we went there, and you weren't there yet, but we went there, and I just remember seeing the bill but the food was good man but it, yeah it's i mean expensive. new york restaurants bro if, if you go to the family you're gonna if it's a nice restaurant you're gonna drop at least 800 dollars, bro if not even more but yeah so where i'll take that like, was it like the lower east side or something where is it yes yeah, on 18th street okay all right yeah that's pretty much everything but yeah man the people there all the people that i work with there you know it was great the atmosphere is great they have music playing. The kitchen's really nice. So, I mean, it's not always usually about the money in a kitchen. I mean, 
line cooks and chefs don't really make much. So when you're going to pick a job, you have to look at everything. So if you go to interview and let's say you're in the interview and you're not really kind of like clicking with the team, but they're paying you, they're, they're offering you $20 an hour. Let's put it that way. And then you go to another job interview, the team, bro, you're just clicking with them. You're having fun. You're joking. And, and you've only been there for, for a day, but they offer you 18. That's $2 an hour. That Over a year, that, that's, that's going to add up. But if you like the kitchen more, you like the cooks more, you like the chefs more, that's, that's an easy decision, man. I mean, it's, yeah, it's $2, but I'd rather be in a workplace environment where I'm having fun than just working with a bunch of robots, you know? Yeah, I think that's in any case, and especially in like any profession, really. I feel like if you like what you do, you're going to do it better and you're going to yeah. be able to, and you're going to be able to improve in it and, and grow in that, in, in those ranks. Now, in that case that you said, like line cooks, chefs don't get paid like that, but what's the progression for someone that wants to kind of be in that, you know, that wants to do that. Now, we're going to get into what you're doing now uh, in entrepreneurial thing and everything like that. But as far yeah. as staying within that, within that line, within that profession, what's, what's kind of the, the pathway there? I mean, so everybody starts off from the bottom, bro. Sometimes you start off washing dishes and then somebody might call out on the line and a chef might go in the dish pit and say, hey, you know, I need a line cook who wants to learn to cook some eggs, who wants to learn how to do the basic stuff. Right. Then you'll, you'll move in. And if you're good, the chef's going to be like, hey, would you mind being a line cook for now instead of a dishwasher? And some people fall in love with it. So after that, you know, from a line cook, you go to a sous chef. So you're pretty you much. You can apply to be a line cook straight up, right? Like You can apply to be a line cook straight okay. up. That's, that's, that's what I did when I moved to New York. Okay. I was a line cook straight up. And then from that, you could either get a lead line cook position. So you'll be in charge of the whole line. Right. You can just be a straight up sous chef. So sous chef is pretty much the next step above from a line cook. You'll be in charge of the service and all that stuff. After that, you have CDC, you have uh, executive chef, you have you have a couple, couple, three other steps. But once you get to the top, I mean, what's the top? Executive chef. Nope. That's probably probably the most you can get when you're when you're executive chef. You're not really in the kitchen as much. You're more in the office, you know, taking taking the orders down, looking at payrolls, um, making sure everything's right. You'll on a Friday night, maybe when it's busy, you'll come up and help. Uh, you recipes, but you won't be working as if you were a line cook, you know, because obviously you're the boss, so you're just overseeing that everybody does their job, keeping keeping everybody in line. But so that's that's kind of like the that that's where you're aiming for, really, once you come in. Yeah, yeah. Once you come in, I mean, that's that's you see executive chef, bro. At right. some restaurants, they're making maybe hundred thousand a year, maybe maybe a little bit more. And as a line cook in New York, you're making maybe maybe forty, forty or fifty. So that's it's a big, it's a big. Yeah, no, no doubt. It all translates over even within other other career fields and stuff like that. But what's the case when there's let's say there's like multiple restaurants i think abc is like was only one right but like yeah. something where there's like a chain of like three or something like that if it's in new york wherever it is but let's say new york city is there can you ascend from that, that like executive the, chef position to like oversee everything or how does that work most definitely i mean abc cocina is a it's a john george restaurant and he literally has restaurants all over the world bro he has them asia mexico uh everywhere and i know there is you get to a point where you can accept uh like a corporate job 
So they have like chefs that they, when they work in corporate, they pretty much travel around the world, bro. And they, they hop into each restaurant and they give them their input or they, they just see if everything's working right, or they'll just go help another chef out to make some new recipes. So this is corporate within that company though. Yeah. Corporate within that company. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, so you'll be just you won't be managing just let's say the restaurants in New York. Let's say he wants you to oversee everything in the United States, so you'll be traveling all over. That's pretty pretty cool pretty cool game. I got you. Now, obviously, you were in you were in Europe, you were in Spain a little bit, uh, and then quite quite a bit of time, and then you came to New York, and obviously, like you said, New York, L.A., Miami, those are the spots in in the United States, and I'm sure every place varies a little bit. Uh, like Miami's gonna be Latin. Uh, Latin centric, really. But yeah. what was the biggest difference from when you were in, uh, in Europe compared to New York? Like, what was what was really going on there? Like, difference was. I mean, in New York, I was working full time. I was in, I was out of school. Uh, yeah, but as far as like the art of 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 cooking and like what kind of you learned, was there like what are the differences that when you came to New York, like you were like, that's not how I learned I mean, it or whatever. The cooking world is pretty much pretty much black and white, bro. Every chef has a way of doing it. So every time you go into the kitchen, you know, a, a chef might peel, peel a tomato some type of way than what you learn from your teachers, let's say. But it's a peeled but, tomato. But it's a peeled tomato. It's like every chef has his own nicks and knacks, but uh, everything else where it's pretty much the same, you know. At one, kitchen, point, at one point, though, you have a little flavor. You learn your little flavor. Like, all right, I, I like my... I like my tomato with a little extra season, a little extra pepper on it, whatever it may be. But this restaurant you go to, restaurants have a certain... Uh, like set recipe, pretty much. Right, right. Uh, at, at what point... So are you following that strict... So you're forgetting everything you ever learned? Or mm-hmm. do, you, do you have a little bit of freedom? Or does is that depend on really your position? Like uh, a line cook, you wouldn't really mess with it that much. But like as you get higher, how does that work? It depends just... Just on your chef, bro. Sometimes you can hop in a kitchen and if he says he wants two, it's two. It's not two and a half. It's not 1.9. It's, it's two or else you'll get fired. I mean, there's, there's a lot of cooks in the world. He'll, he'll just say, if you don't want to, if you don't want to follow my recipes, my rules, the door's right there. I'll find somebody to get it. But if you get a, a cool chef, you know, it might be his recipe, but you, you did the same recipe at another restaurant or other part of the world. And you're like, Hey chef, uh, we used to add this back in when I worked in Europe or whatever. Right. You're like, all right, uh, you can put it in. Let me try it. And if he likes it, he likes it. He'd be like, all right, from now on, do it that way. But there's sometimes chefs aren't like that. You know, they, they like their own way and it's, it's, it's a restaurant. So it's, it's understandable. And they worked up to that point. So it's kind of like what they, yeah. they know they got to experience just like you got experience, but they have a little bit more of it. Right. So I think exactly. they able to rely a little bit more on that. But, uh, so like I mentioned earlier, you're delving into a little bit different field and you're still chefing it up and everything, but you went back to Dallas. What happened there? Like, so, so you left, went back to Texas. What was good there? Okay. So I was in New York for pretty much a year. Right. And, you know, New York's really expensive, bro. I was, hell, I was in Manhattan. I was paying 1900 for, for a room. Yeah. I was roommates and, you know, with a line cook salary, it's, it's hard to get by. Right. So, I was like, ah, you know, I had to think, think long-term goals. And I was like, you know, I'm going to move back to Texas for a little bit and see, see what I'm going to do. Just, just regroup. You know, I had a couple, 
communities out here. Uh, I had a couple of friends that wanted to start a little restaurant or some food trucks and catering and stuff. So I came out here and entertained the ideas. And I got here February, around February. Mm-hmm. Um, started working in Plano as a sous chef. I got a sous chef job at a Mexican bar company. Okay. Here for a couple months, you know, I didn't didn't really like it, so. I was like, you know, I'm just going to start my own business. So after that, you know, I started doing uh, meal preps, meal preps and just private, private events, catering, stuff like that. And I launched that at the end of February and I started doing meal preps for a couple NFL athletes and I partnered up with a, with a couple of gyms, started doing that. And then my private, private business just started going off. I started doing like small weddings, caterings. And you know that's that's what I've been doing right now in Dallas. Right, right. How does that how does that defer? I mean, with any any time you go from being an employee per se to being the employer, like in, in really owning your own stuff, uh, it's different. You have more control. You have more freedom with everything you do. But you're still applying those mechanisms that you have, especially when you're starting off, kind of like you're doing a little bit of everything. Uh, how how how's that experience been? I mean, it's it's different. It's different, man. You yeah. like. When you work for somebody, it's it's a guaranteed check. You know what you're gonna make. Yeah. And when you're on when you're your own boss and you have your own like business, per say, one week you might make a thousand dollars, but the next week you might make ten. So it, it really varies from that. You just gotta stay. You gotta stay focused and know that in the long run, you know everything's gonna work out. And yeah. It's, it's food. Everybody eats. I mean, that's a risk reward, man. That's that's really what it comes down to. Because if you're able to grow something like that into something substantial then yeah. you're never gonna look back you, you know you i was i was i was watching you know shark tank yes uh the, the bald one uh kevin kevin O'Leary o'leary or something like that mr wonderful goes by oh, i watched one of his videos and like he was talking about how he made his first million or whatever he so he had his first job and and he was working at this this like ice cream shop or whatever the girl he had a crush on what was working across the the mall Right. Yeah. So that's the only reason he started working there because he's like, oh, she's right there. We're going to meet up for coffee after. And then as soon as he finished his shift, it was like, you know, 7 p.m. at night on like a Sunday or something like that. Finished his shift. He was about to walk out. And then the, the manager there was like, oh, you got to scrub the, the gum off the floor or whatever. And he's like, you know, I'm here to, to do this. I'm here to scoop ice cream, not to scrub the gum off the floor. And yeah. then she was like, nah, you work here. You're going to do like what I say on the manager. So he just walked out. And he's like, after that day, I knew I never was going to work for anybody ever again. But that's kind of the. There's that and everywhere. And then you look at that and you're like, yo, like, that's, yeah, like, let me just employ that same attitude, that same mentality. But it's like what you said, if it was all roses, everybody would do it. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and there really can be benefits if you're employing it the right way. But there are risks that come with it. And also, like you said, you don't really know a lot of the time. So the security you have working for somebody, you don't necessarily have until you really reach a position. And it's just a lot of hard work till you get there. It takes it takes time. I mean, you could be working for somebody for twenty years, and for the first ten years, you might be at the lowest level, and the next ten, you might be the boss. But you know, it took you ten years of your life making minimum wage. While while you're, if you're your own boss, you know, twenty years working for yourself, the first ten you might be struggling. You or you, the first five, you know, you might be struggling. No, yeah, that's the thing. You could be the next millionaire. Like nobody knows. And I think it really comes down to as well. Uh, what you like to do. Some people like working for people and you yeah. like working for people. It's like you, you, you approach every day. You, you like doing that. So as I, as, if you're enjoying life and you're enjoying waking up every morning and know what you're doing, then that's amazing. Like keep doing that. 
But so many people are going to the job they don't want to go to. They're, they're looking forward to every Friday, Saturday, Sunday because they hate what they're doing. So yeah. you think about employing that mentality, kind of changing it up a little bit, you know, being your own boss, like you said. And then really, it could be five years, it could be 10 years, it could be one year, but hard work, you know, like the, the Malcolm Gladwell rule and, and the outsiders, like 10,000 hours. So you put a lot of work in, into something, uh, you're going you're gonna to reap the benefits of it. Uh, it's yeah. just a matter of you liking what you're doing. And if you like that process of cons- consistently, you know, trying to get better at what you're doing and you like what you're doing, in your case, you love, you love cooking. So you love yeah. chefing it up and uh, you know that, you know, if you employ the right uh, business strategies and everything that goes with that, and that's a learning experience as well, but you're going to be able to be successful. But even those running those risks, you're enjoying doing what you're doing. So it keeps you going. If you're trying to run a business and you're trying to be your own entrepreneur and you don't like doing what you're doing, you're not going to last because it, it, it is hard. It is hard. Exactly. You don't understand, you know, you, you, you don't love what you're doing. So you're not going to keep doing it. You went to New York because if you want to be a cook, you want to be in New York. But as far as being in, in like Texas, what disadvantages are there? Or can is is there like maybe like a faster like route to the top? I don't know. I mean, just being in Texas, the the restaurant world here, it's it doesn't hold a nickel next to New York. You know, there's there's no. What, mean, what if I'm an executive chef in Dallas? I mean, you can be an executive chef anywhere, but what I'm saying is, Dallas is pretty much. I mean, it sounds bad to say, but let's let's say Dallas is a D league, and New York's the big leagues. That's that's, that's how it is. I mean, and, and and LA and New York would be kind of on the same level. Yeah, that's, that's the big leagues. That's the big leagues where you want to go. That's where the Michelin star restaurants are. You know, Chicago too. That's has a really good culinary world so out here. It's like the the melting pots across the country. Like, the- so yeah. I mean, there's 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 great chefs here in Dallas too. I've been to a couple great restaurants. You know, but- it's in the Vegas too, right? Yeah, Vegas. Yeah, Vegas too. But you know, it's just it's just a matter of the people too. You know, in Texas, there's people with money, but there's not that many restaurants where people are going to go and spend you know a thousand dollars on a night out. In New York, it's it's a common thing to go out to the that city. Easy. <laughs> you're you're, you're going to be spending on Uber, bro, at least two hundred dollars, right. and then if you go out for drinks at a restaurant, bro, and you're eating there with a group of ten. You're gonna be dropping a big bill, right? And so, you know that's that's not really a custom thing to do. It's more of a family style, like stay here. We we, we like barbecue. We like yeah. we like burgers. You know, it's just a different type of atmosphere. I would I would say. Yeah, higher uh, like fine dining, really, but like it it just is what it. Is. It's just the melting pot. It is like if you're in New York and you want Italian food, you don't eat the best Italian food. If you want Mexican food, you'll eat some of the best Mexican food, like, you know, wherever it is. I was, I was in Queens a lot and there was a Mexican restaurant there. It was called, uh, Casa Enrique. And okay. yeah, I don't know if yeah. you've been there. You've been there? Has, I think it has a Michelin star. It does. It does. It does. They, they consider it the best Mexican restaurant in New York, New York City. Yep. It's, it's so good, man. But like, really anywhere you go, it's like any type of food you want, you're going to find it because there's such a diverse immigrant population. So oh, it's like, if you go yeah. up to uh, uh, Northern Queens, uh, Astoria area, the Greek food is ridiculous. It's, it's crazy. And same mm-hmm. with like the kind of, uh, a lot of Brazilian food over there too. So it's- same. If you go to Hopki, I've, uh, I've been to Hopki in uh, Chinatown. Nah. So one Chinatown of the best, isn't a place I've been to much. One of the best Chinese places I've ever been to in my life. No doubt. Yeah, hands down. But I mean, it's, it's just like I'm saying, everything has its place. Like if, if you're a Wall Street guy, 
and you're living, I don't know, in Wyoming, bro. I mean, Wall Street in Wyoming, Wall Street in New York. It's, you know, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> no, I feel that. I feel that. We talk about that diverse kind of, you know, take, take away what it from like you want. The Italian food in New York is really good. You got a large Italian population too. And then like descendants of Italians, obviously, um, like Italian Americans and all that. But in Texas, you have like a Tex-Mex. Now, this is something I've, I've always thought. And I'm not like a, like a crazy like foodie or anything, like food expert. I love food. So I'll eat and appreciate whatever. But being in Texas and you're Mexican. Yeah. So you're going to understand this more than other people. But, you know, you go to New York. I was going to school in New York. And a lot of my friends, like they, they just don't appreciate you know, Mexican food in the same way that I do. And I have friends from California that they do as well. Um, but how does that compare? How is it different? Obviously in Texas, you got like a Tex-Mex, which is different than straight pure Mexican food. Uh, but like, give me, give me a little comparison on that. I mean, I would say the Tex-Mex, like the Mexican food in Texas, most of it, probably 80% of it is pretty much Texas food. It's not real Mexican yeah, food. Yeah. People don't realize that. Yeah, the, the flavors are, you know, are very different. The spices they use. I mean, Mexicans like the food spicy most of the time. Mm -hmm. And if you go to Taco Cabana or like Fuzzy's Tacos, you know, oh, bro, that, that's Mexican food. No, bro, that's... that's Yeah, well, that's that's also like a little bit of ignorance there too. It's like, you know, there's, there's really not that many, you know, authentic Mexican spots here. There's a really good bunch of places, but, you know, there's not in the neighborhoods you would want to see them, you know? If you go to Highland Village, or if you like, go to Florida, okay. you're not on something. Yeah. But like very, Fort Worth has, a, has some, right? Yeah, you can go to Fort Worth, you can go to Oak Cliff, you can go to Garland. And I feel like, you know, that's the lower, lower income places. That's where the Mexicans live here. And I mean, that's where the food is, I would, I would assume. No, I mean, it's, it's correlation. It's, it, that's, how, that's how it is. That's how it is everywhere. Like, the Greek food in, in, in New York. It's not all, it's in Queens. It's not in Manhattan. Same way, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these good restaurants and stuff like that. Uh, you gave a little background on football. Now I want to bring up football because this being a sports, uh, sports show and everything uh, and, and diving beyond the lines, but going back within the lines, uh, you try to play, you try to play college football. What, what happened? I, I don't even remember that really. I remember that like, you graduated and everything. And obviously then soon after you went to culinary school, but it all happened so fast. Yeah. So, I mean, when I graduated high school, you know, uh, I just went to, I went to Navarro to try. And that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Program. And, you know, I went to the, to the tryouts and the coach talked to me after he's like, Hey, we like, we like how you play or whatever. Uh, but we can't offer you a scholarship. He's like, you can be a preferred walk on. And I mean, if, if you show out, you show out. And, you know, I, I really thought about it and I was like, you know, am I going to, am I going to be in the NFL? I thought about it. I was like, that, that's a thought process. Everybody needs to have. So it's a long shot, bro. So I was like, you know, I, I was okay with giving up the dream and I wasn't going to go. I mean, Navarro's in, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I wasn't waste my prime years living in the middle of nowhere, hoping to get a, a scholarship, you know? Right. I put the, the the dream a bit. Yeah. Now I'm glad you bring that up though, because that's something that a lot of people struggle with. Now I like for me, because it was my junior year when I tore my you know I tore my whole knee up, so I was gonna yeah. miss most of my senior year. So I I had that reality check right then. Now I could have had it later and had it like you, 
but I was able to kind of like get my head straight and everything like that. But it's like hard at first because you see yourself, all you know is being, all you know is being a football player, like really. And like when you're in school, when you're in high school, all you care about is football. You don't care about anything else. So you're yeah. going through your classes, you got your boys in your classes. So one, you're not paying attention because of that. Two, you're not paying attention because oh, you, know, you just don't want to pay attention. Like, it just doesn't matter. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you got to realize like how many of us are going to the league. Yeah. And I think we grow up in kind of this bubble and people don't understand it. So like when I went to New York, my freshman year was a huge adjustment for me because I came from this background. And, and part of the reason I wanted to leave New York is kind of like what you said. Like I just wanted to kind of be in a bigger pond. And if okay. I was going to go to college and like move on from football, I wanted a complete change. You know what I mean? But then what came with that was just seeing all these, this, this big group of people and talking to all these different, uh, all these different people that I'm meeting that are like all my age and coming to school and they're from New York and they're from some of them are from California, whatever, wherever they may be from. But they grew up completely different. Like they didn't have that where we are. It's like, you know, they, they always would ask me like, yo, is it like Friday night lights in Texas? I'm like, it's like that, but like we didn't live in the middle of nowhere, but it, it, it's, there's just yeah. comparisons. You know what I yeah. mean? Some people, you know, at a, at a football game. It's, yeah. It's that. That's Texas. Well, when we would watch Friday Night Lights and we'd kind of see what was going on with the people around us, a lot of these people who are putting all their eggs in this football basket, like what happens when you don't make it to the league, which you're probably not going to make it to the league because I think it's 1% of college football players make the league. I, it's something yeah. ridiculous like that. So like, what's the percentage of high school football players making the league? It's like 0.0001%. You know, it's like a, a billionaire. So when you don't make it, then you just find, kind of fall back into this thing and then you never really leave where you're from and then you got kids there and how many times we see it. And that's where it reminded me of the Friday Night Lights, the movie, the kids now, like you, the parents are living through their kids. Now it's yeah. like, all right, it's our kids mission to make it to the league. And it's just this toxic environment, in my opinion, where like, I didn't really want to be in that. I wanted to kind of, you know, spread my wings a little bit and, and be able to like grow outside of that. And you, wait, 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 what you did, it, it should, like, it's the same thing. You know what I mean? I mean, like, I've been back ever since I came back from, like, Europe. You could see, you know, the people that in high school, you know, football was just everything to them. And once they had that taken away from them since they graduated and didn't get to go to the higher level, you know, it's like, all right, well, what am I going to do? And they don't have football, so they don't know what they're going to do. And they just go work a dead-end job. And, you know, they're just they're just living, remembering the, the old days. But you just got to pick yourself up and see what you want to do with your life and go, go pursue it. I mean, if football didn't work out for you, football didn't work out for you, but that means there's something else in your plan that you're going to fall into, that you're going to love and that you're going to be okay with doing for the rest of your life. Absolutely. That's a process of figuring that out. And I think as long as you're moving, like you kind of, you have a chance of finding that out rather than just staying here, like you said, working a dead end job and everything like that. Now, a couple yeah. of weeks ago, I, uh, I was talking to Jelani Jenkins, former NFL player. And I know you know about that, but one thing that we talked about was that whole, that whole thing, the progression from being an athlete. Now, obviously, he made the league, but yeah. you know, it's a mistake to think that even players who are leaving the league don't have this same, same journey. Michael Bennett just retired yesterday, a uh, defensive end, right? Played for the Cowboys last year, actually. And yeah. you know, he said it seems like he died yesterday, but he's like, it's a rebirth now for him to figure out like, what his journey is outside of that. But like everybody really kind of has to experience that. But also being an athlete, when you go through this progression, you're letting go of like, say your football identity, which might be your whole identity, but maybe not. But at the same time, it does give you, it equips you with a lot of skills that you can take on to other, other things. So for me, it was like, man, I always worked hard as hell. And you notice, like I always, man, put in the most work, you know what I mean? 
and and ever since I started playing when I was ten, so that's fifth grade. So ten, you know, all the way through high school and the weight room, doing everything I could do. So then when I was like, all right, I can apply the same kind of work ethic outside and whatever it may be. So you know, with school, with with internships that I had, so like I remember when I was interning with CBS Sports, I was like, yo, this seems surreal. Well, let me just put in the same work that I've been putting in that I was able to do before. And that's why I was able to get these things. But how has that helped you out? I mean, sports, sports have been a really big part of my life ever since I was a little kid. You know, I played soccer, baseball, basketball, uh, boxing, football, of course. You know what I mean? You played in high school. Yeah. I feel like when you hit that kind of like probably the middle school age, when you start playing sports, that's when it really starts, you know, building your character and molding you as a person. Um, especially when you're in high school, I mean, you get really close with your coaches. You you see them more than than your family, most likely, because you spend Absolutely. you spend time in the weight room, watching film, practicing team dinners. Yeah, you you develop a real close relationship with your coaches, and you know, I have I had a couple crazy coaches that all they used to do was yell, or they used to say, you know, you're doing this wrong. They never tell you, hey, like that's good, keep it up. And I mean, in the kitchen world, it's kind of, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, most of the chefs are, it's, it's a culture that's trying to change. Cause I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of a drag to be in a kitchen working and you know, there's just constant yelling and it's a, it's just a hot environment, but coming from like the football experience, I'm used to like coaches yelling or saying, Hey bro, this is shit. Like, but at the end of the day, you know, when you get older, you look back on it and, you, and you're like, all right, you know, uh, that coach was just, he was just building me up. You know, he, he gave me, he, he gave me a tool to have thick skin and to take pretty much take shit from people. Cause I mean, when, when you're in a job in the real world, if you do, if you're not doing your job, right, your boss is going to tell you, Hey, you're doing an ass job. He's not going to come and say, Hey, you know, pat you on the back. Like, let me show you how to do this or it's it's not like that. It's a sink or swim, you know? And I feel like sports shaped me into that where I could be able to adjust in a quick environment, you know, football, every play changes and, you know, it's, it's, it's a puzzle. You have to know where everything's going, where to adjust, where, what to do, where to go. And it's the same in the kitchen. Sometimes you're, you're down, you're down a cook, you're down a player. So you have to adjust and, you know, you have to take care of his job. And if, if it was football, you have to find somebody else to either take his spot. You have to, you have to fill in the gap, you know, but yeah. I feel like it's, it's, you know, it's a big, big thing for everybody. Yeah, no doubt. Especially that, that, that camaraderie aspect, that team aspect that you said, uh, it, it translates directly to anything you're doing, anywhere you're going to go work. Especially, yeah. you know, yeah, like that, relying on your teammates, knowing you got a teammate down, right, somebody's got to pick up this black, and you understand how all that works. That's why you see a lot of former athletes having success uh, in different fields. But something particular that, that, that stuck out to me was like, yeah, you, you have the coaches who really yell at you. And it sucks at the time, but like you look back at it, it's still kind of, I still got coaches, bro. I, like, I look back and I'm like, all right, like, fuck him. I don't, you know, it was unnecessary, but yeah. at the same time, like, if I was going to the league, I would have gone to the league and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have cared about him anyway. But the fact that, like, I can use that, like, because one, you build thicker skin. That's one thing you get from that. So when you're in the real world and, like, yeah, somebody chews you out because it's in the heat of the moment, you know, nothing's personal. They just, they worry about the product. So, and that's what the, it was the same way it was back then. So there's that. Uh, it doesn't mean they're good coaches because I think you can be coachable without doing that kind of stuff and kind of, you know, yeah, leading definitely. people in the right 
in the right direction. I think that's what separates great coaches from good coaches. But you learn and you grow from all these different kinds of scenarios. And I feel like we all did, man. And it's just about us channeling it in the right way and getting people to, to, to see that they can do that as well. A lot of the people that you said that like had football completely, it was football, even basketball. Like I got boys in the street, you know, basketball was the only thing on their mind and the same thing happened. Yeah. I mean, I guess, like you said, when you look at it in the long run, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather me experience that when I was 16 than experience it when I was 25. As an example, like you're in the locker room with a bunch of players and coaches and a coach points you out in front of everybody. He's like, Hey, like you're, you're probably the worst player ever. Like you're not doing a good job. You're not doing this. That, hap- that, that happens every week. You're not going to play for me. You're going to be riding the bench. And he tell he he pretty much humiliates you in front of the whole whole squad. Yeah. But I'd rather it happen then than when I'm 25 and I'm working with grownups and just I would I wouldn't know how to handle getting embarrassed like that in front of in front of my peers. But you know, football that 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 has to happen to at least every player yeah. getting embarrassed in front of you know his teammates or some, some lines. And you know, it's just. Like, all right, you know, he did me a favor. I wouldn't know how to react if I was 25 and my boss was like, hey, you're the worst person in here. And I would I've, I've seen it, bro. Like, yeah. people who haven't experienced that kind of stuff growing up. And you'd be surprised, too, because like I said, it was one of the adjustments me going to New York and just seeing how, like, all right, I grew up different than these kids based on just, like, the kind of bubble we were in and everything like that, uh, football being uh, this important and all this. But... Yeah. We were we we were exposed to that kind of stuff, whereas like they weren't. So you just see the sensitivity that comes with that kind of stuff. Now my cousin yeah. is is like my cousin. I've I've family that don't that live in New that live in Manhattan, and you know they grow up. They're they're very well off, put it lightly, and it's just different. You you just look at somebody. It's just different. Now I don't know yeah. if you follow uh you you follow Gary Vaynerchuk. You know who Gary Vaynerchuk is. Uh, I think I yeah. He's one of those like media moguls. Like you see him all over social media. He's a multimillionaire, or whatever. Built. He started from scratch. He was a Russian immigrant. Uh, just garage sales and trading baseball cards. And, and you know he he can sell like water to a well pretty much. And he's very yeah. successful. But he just talks about that. Like it's just a different mentality when you grow up more disadvantaged than others. It's almost like you have an advantage because you're built different. Like whereas yeah, yeah. these kids aren't and they're comfortable. You can take it. Thing, and I'm not necessarily like you can still be have be comfortable, but just the environment that you're growing up with coaches yelling. I, I think it's like a similar environment. Not to mention the fact that in the divisive times that we're in today, with like obviously race and everything, sports, man, the locker rooms and everything are it's somewhere like we don't feel that. You know what I mean? It's 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 more of a connection overall. It's it's your brothers. You don't really see somebody like in the outside world. Maybe. It's- there, there's problems in the outside and you hop in that locker room or you hop in that huddle and you don't see somebody for black or white or Hispanic. It doesn't matter. You go to, and you're going to ride for them regardless. You hang out on the way. It, it's, it's different, but I think that clouds us as well being, being former athletes and being in that kind of environment where we see that. That's how we see it. Uh, but outside of stuff like that, there's real problems going on and we don't necessarily see it until uh, we kind of step out of, uh, out of these zones and everything. And is there anything else you want to talk about uh, chefing-wise or you kind of covered everything there? Yeah, I mean, I kind of covered it, bro. It's, it's, it's a hard business. It's, it's not for everybody, that's for sure. The, the hours are long. Uh, give, me the, give, give me the details on your business right now. 
so right now I'm in uh, I'm in Dallas and pretty much I mean I have my Instagram page uh, Chef Georgie underscore two. You can see pretty much what I cook up there and people yeah people just DM me on there and they're like all right we have a party of five or a party of twenty and I sit down with them and I create a menu for them based on ingredients so that, let's say they they want meat and two sides and then they want a dessert and they want something else so i'm like all right i make them a plate that's meat based and then sides to go with that pairing and then the dessert to go with that so it's just it's just a whole experience that i pretty much sell and they contact me there and then i set it up and most of the time i go cook at their house so i get there i prep and then i cook for them plate it up and then clean it up and then I leave and it's like nothing ever happened. Yeah, Blue Apron ain't doing that, right? Yep. <laughs> what's all, what's what's some competitors? You got Blue Apron, what's some other ones? Uh Blue Apron and then I think it's Iron Iron Fitness, something like that. Okay. That, that's that's the meal prep. Yeah, I mean my, my meal prep is just it's it's a local thing. I don't yeah, I don't shit. No, for sure, for sure. Keep it small, you know, I have a small clientele base. Uh, I have a couple NFL NFL guys. Uh, one of them uh, plays for Broncos. His name's uh, Trinity Benson. Okay. Uh, he used to work out with me. I, I've done private events for him. You know, he's got me in contact with some other people. But you know, I'm not really focused on making the the meal prep business like worldwide. That's not something I, I want to do. You know, I'm more focused on actually cooking. Uh, yeah. Before before COVID happened. Uh, I was going to open up a restaurant. So next, next year I was going to be moving to Columbia. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I remember you told me that. I was going to open a restaurant with a buddy out there, but due to COVID, I mean, it's, it's probably not the best move right now. And the the borders closed. So we just talked about it. We're probably going to take a year or two off. So right now I'm just sticking it around here. And I mean, it's, it's hard times, hard times for everybody. Hard times for everybody, but. You you've been able to figure out your road till now, so you're gonna be able to do it going forward, man. Thinking throughout it, man. Yep, <laughs> gotta gotta keep grinding. Yo, so off off that into the sports board a little bit. Now we talked about our background and stuff like that, but I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about NFL season coming up. Uh, we're both big Cowboy fans. Uh, I, I I think it, every year I think we're we're a good team, but yeah, yeah. Jason Garrett kind of. Held us back a little bit for a long time, and I think that's objective. Everybody saw that. Now you got a new coaching staff in TD Lamb coming in. Um, that's that receiving court might be the best in the league. I think it's the best in the league. Uh, Dak contract issues. There's a lot of stuff going on. Well, well, give me give me your outlook right now. Uh, I mean, he he hasn't signed. Obviously, uh, we well, got. Andy. He's on a franchise tag, so he'll play this year. Yeah, yeah, but he, I mean, he hasn't he hasn't extended, and that that's just. Right. I don't know. It's just it's kind of iffy, man. I mean, what what, what they offer him like a hundred hundred something? They offered him, they offered him thirty five million a year over four, yeah, over five years. And he said, yeah. Nah, I'll take thirty five over four years. Or yeah. if you want to give me five years, I want forty five million in the last year. And then they never agreed on that. Personally, I mean, he's 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 a great athlete, but I wouldn't I wouldn't dump that bag on him yet. Not yet. Nobody would. Per- Nobody would. Pers- I would take Andy Dalton right now. <laughs> I would be I would be okay with Andy Dalton leading the Cowboys, bro. I mean, it's 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 a different opinion, but he's he's been in playoff games, bro. He's been deep in the playoffs, and I just think that's what the Cowboys need. 
somebody that's just going to take the reins. Obviously, Dak's not going to go anywhere. They're going to probably give him his money. But yeah. that's how I feel, man. Well, after Mahomes signed his gazillion dollar deal, uh, that's setting the bar up a little bit higher. So the Cowboys wanted to get it done. They should have gotten it done before that. Yeah, but you can't compare. You can't compare yourself to Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he's been in okay, the league. But he shouldn't have been asking for what he was asking for anyway. Like I'm just saying, I'm not. I'm not surprised if he's like, okay. Uh, yeah, I totally understand. But I mean, Patrick Mahomes. Just won, he just won a Super Bowl. What, what did Dex do? What's What's Dex's last accomplishments? Right, right. He threw for almost five thousand yards last year, but they went eight and eight. So like, it doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? The day wins. Wins are gonna get you money, and he he didn't get enough of them. He didn't get a. Super- no, I, I completely agree. And I've always said that I blame the overwhelming success or lack of success on a team on a quarterback and the, and the head coach. So yeah. I did think Jason Garrett was a huge problem. Oh, no, sure. And he's gone. So Mike McCarthy teamed up with, with Dak. Uh, we'll, see, we'll see if that changes anything. I think it could. And if anything, if Dak has a really good season this year and the Cowboys have a good season overall, he's just going to make more money. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, this is a season where he's either going to have to put up or shut up. That's it. That's you can't you can't ask for hundred million dollars and go with eight wins or seven wins or six wins in a season. You know, why why would I pay you a crazy amount of money if you can't win more than ten games? Right, right. And we're we're gonna have to see if he's able to do that. Obviously, the season's gonna be a little crazy. We'll see how all that kind of stuff plays out with coronavirus and stuff. But aside from um, the Cowboys, uh, give me your favorite right now. Oh, favorite! Super Bowl, Super Bowl favorites early. What is it? July. July 2021 Super Bowl favorites. 2021 season. man. I really like uh, the Patriots with Cam Newton. I feel like, I like that's the Patriots with Cam Newton, too. But I still like, think they're a sleeper team. A lot of people don't really. Yeah. Love I mean, Tom Brady's gone. That, that was pretty much deleted. That's, yeah, but you're not downgrading going to Cam. I think you're upgrading going to Cam, in my opinion. I don't think you're upgrading or down. At this point in Tom Brady's career. Yeah, but Tom Brady is still Tom Brady at the end of the day. He's still hey, Joe Montana can go out there on the field and play. Yeah, but it's I mean it's different. It's different. Yeah, but okay. I Cam Newton's gonna gonna contribute to that team in a big way. Okay. What other teams? I mean Tampa. Tampa's just got Tom Brady and Gronk. They have uh, Mike Evans. You're right. Um, I feel like they could be a contender. The Dallas Cowboys, I mean, obviously I'm always gonna put them up on the board. Right. They have a team. I feel like uh Zeke should have a breakout season this year. He's he hasn't been sleeping, but, you know, there's been a lot of talk around the world. You know, people tweeting, Zeke's big, Zeke's this, Zeke's that. He hasn't been, you know, he's downgrading. But I feel like he's going to get that motivation. And him and Dak are going to team up to show what this team can actually do, especially with all the all the new people that they're bringing in. Right. Coaching moves, uh, receiving moves. Hopefully they, they make a big change. So the, the, the NFC, I think, is, Obviously, Dallas, I, I think they're going to be good. Uh, it's just too much talent not to be good. And yeah. It's, it's, it's hard not to improve on 8-8 eight and eight season last year when you have that much talent. I do think Zeke's going to uh, – he's, he's going to feed off everything that's going on. Like, no pun intended, you know, feed Zeke or whatever. I don't even mean it like that. But um, Cowboys are going to be good in the NFC. The Saints are going to be good. Uh, but the AFC, I, I just don't see anybody getting past the, the Chiefs or the Ravens. So. I it's it's kind of hard for me because the Ravens with Lamar Jackson and I want them to get Antonio. I know he like hinted at retirement the other day, Antonio Brown. But if the Ravens get Antonio Brown, man, that's gonna be interesting. I feel the Ravens can go a long way. The the Forty Nine ers, 
you know, those, those are all top tier teams right now. Uh, what, do you think, what do you think about Dez? I want Dez to play. I love Dez, man. Dez is one of my favorite players. I know he's one of your favorite players too, right? I mean, that's that that one of my favorite players, but do you think he's going to get picked up? I, it's, it's a bad time for everybody, man. Especially somebody... You saw how long it took Cam to get picked up. He was playing last year. Yeah. Uh, so Dez hasn't played in two years, coming off an Achilles. Yeah. Uh, coronavirus is, is within this time. I think... He's been looking pretty good in some of the videos, but we all know that running routes against the air is different than running routes against you know, yeah, Patrick yeah. Peterson. Yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. So, what is uh, Colin Kaepernick? Look, man, I want to see. I want to see Colin in the league. Mm-hmm. I like. I've always. I've said this since the jump. I'm one of Colin Kaepernick's biggest supporters, as far as. Uh, I believe he should be in the league. I've always thought he should be, he should be in the league. And I hated the whole thing that happened with him. But um, he's, I don't, is he a starter at this point? I don't know. He hasn't played in a while. Like, if he had naturally just stopped playing, like, forget all, everything that came with it, then, like, like I, I don't know about Gronk because he hasn't played. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. Kaepernick, I don't know. I want to see him in a, I want to see him try out, like, put him in a preseason and see how he goes. Uh, plays against like the backup, like who who plays better, him or a backup on any team? And he plays yeah. better than him, then he should be on the team. But I think it needs to be seen. Yeah, that's true. I, I think he deserves to be in the league. I deserve. I, I mean, I think he has the talent and he has everything to do it. It's just you know, personally, I feel. I think a lot of people feel the same way, but he's been blackballed by the league. Yeah, he's been. Yeah, that's that's obvious. Yeah. Now, what I'm saying is like, even if you put if you if you put that aside right now, it's been well, like three, four whole years. That he's been blackballed. So now it's like you're not only talking about him being blackballed, but it's actually been a minute since he's played. So now we got to be realistic about it too. At that time, it was he played last year. He was playing good last year. Why why is he not playing now? But now it's a few years out the league. It's unfortunate for him, but I I love to see him getting these deals with like Disney and everything. So everything's coming back around. Like the good guy always wins in the end kind of thing. So I'm I'm happy to see that. But before we wrap it up real quick, NBA about to get started. Give me a quick NBA pick. I need to hear that. Uh, Mavs, man. I, I love to see. It. I love to see. It. If there's a time that that coronavirus and, and like this whole weird season coming to play, because you all know what's gonna happen in these different circumstances, different atmosphere, the Mavs can play. I yeah. think the future. That's a dynasty in the making. But they can play. You can. They can do something this year. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm I'm a big Luca fan. Over yeah, when I was, in, you have to be. Yeah, when I when I was in Spain, you know, he's he played out there and everybody was like, Oh, he's on the Mavs. Like I told him that's that's where I was from and they're like, Oh shit, they, they be talking about him, hyping him up all the time. Yeah. And I mean you see you see his videos on like Instagram and stuff and he just seems like a really cool guy down to earth. Yeah. Hopefully hopefully they get it. I see it, bro. And I'm excited to see it. Hey man, thanks for coming on, man. That was fun to talk about. A lot of a lot of insight on on, on a lot of stuff you're doing. Well, best of luck with uh, your business, bro. Uh, the details out everybody needs to follow that well, chef georgie underscore two is that what it is chef georgie underscore two on instagram chef georgie so i'm gonna put that on a i'm gonna put that on the description and everything so we're gonna get that straight in. but yo thanks for coming again man i'm gonna talk to you soon for sure appreciate it man thanks for having me on the show absolutely thank you all for listening if it's your first time here please subscribe over on apple or spotify or wherever you're listening to your podcast and check us out over on youtube at beyond the lines if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and tag George so he knows you're listening and what you enjoyed from the interview. Stay tuned for our next episode coming next Friday at 1 p.m. Till next time.